Hey, Reading Lens listener, Jason Banzoff here, producer for the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. I want to talk to you about a few things before we kick off this episode. We're going to be ending 2022 with some great Reading Lens episodes. And then in 2023, we got a treat for you. Reading Lens will become the group takeaways with Nick Lindsay. Nick has some great things lined up, so make sure you keep an eye out for the great things coming out in 2023. We can't wait to put these out. So until then, enjoy this Reading Lens classic. Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the small group network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Reading Lens with Nick Lindsay. Hey, Small Group Network, welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad you chose to take time to hang out with us. Here is how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have a guest with us who is also a small group point person to share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, or our small groups. Today's guest is a personal favorite of mine to geek out with about small groups, Alan White. Welcome to Reading Lens, Alan. Hey, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Alan has been in the group's world for over 30 years, which is so impressive, like your commitment. I think I... If I'm being honest, I think about quitting probably once a month. But uh, what I love about Alan is he's one of my go-to guys when I get stuck. He writes an informative and relevant newsletter slash blog that comes out on Tuesdays. So I always look forward to that email coming in. Uh, usually on my walk home is when I will dive into that. And then he also has a new podcast out, the Exponential Groups Podcast. And I would say new, but you have seven episodes already. So that's, that's I do. I've, 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 and everybody quits at seven. So we'll see if I have another episode. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll do a trade here. So I'm sure I'll be on it sometime soon. So I'd love that. Least, that'll at least make eight. I know you had Carolyn on in your most recent one. So we're, we're excited to, uh, that she you got to interview her because usually she's the one interviewing. Carolyn's awesome. She she knows so much and she's so humble about it. It's just amazing. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. So um, and you've also authored this is just according to Amazon, but you've authored five small group books. Do you have more than five? I'm guessing Uh, I might have six with my name on them, but I write a lot of other books that have other people's names on them. But I won't tell you who (laughs) I really appreciate how much of a connector you are. You have a real appreciation for those who've come before you. So I know that you're super close with Carl George. And after 30 years, you're still learning. And I think that's just a great model for all of us to, to just not give up and continue learning. And and I think that's huge. Yeah. And Carl's been such a gift. Unfortunately, I moved, so I'm not across town from him anymore. So it's a little <laughs> harder to get to lunch. But one of the things I've learned is I, I can't show off, you know, all of my stuff that I know in front of Carl because he will very much, he loves me enough. He'll put me right in my place. And uh, <laughs> it's good to have people like that in your life. That's a great friend. Yeah. So, hey, and one other thing I should disclose you guys, Alan is a former coach of mine. Um, and I promise you, he's not paying for me to say this, but he was so helpful at helping us walk through our church's first church-wide groups campaign. And I really enjoyed what I loved. It was, it was not just getting one-on-ones with Alan, which were fantastic, but also there's a monthly call group that went with it. So um, I'm a big fan of learning from others, as you can already tell from this show. But what got you into the coaching side of it? You know, I actually, I had a coach. And okay. our, our groups were stuck. We had about 30% of our adults in groups. And I joined a, a coaching group. Uh, it was kind of crazy. It was a conference call. It had 40 pastors from across the country. There was this guy in there that talked all the time. His name was Alan White. He was so annoying. Uh, <laughs> but within three weeks, I doubled my group. So they uh, then, then I went into actually helping them with the groups. And then I went into coaching other pastors myself. And then I went into uh, running the whole thing. And then 
a few years ago switched over and started doing my own deal. But I saw the value of it, of not yeah. just not just reading the book, not just going to the conference, which all those things have value, but mm-hmm. being with a, a cohort of people that are doing some of the same things, that are suffering the same ups and downs that you are and can encourage each other and learn from each other. Um, and then, and I've had, you know, great satisfaction in being able to coach churches further than what I was able to accomplish. And I mean, our groups, we got to 125% in groups, but I've seen people have twice as many in yeah. groups as in the weekend service. So, um, and that's not just because of me, it's just creating that environment. And, um, I, I have the spiritual gift of stirring it up. Yeah. And so, um, I just kind of, you know, help people, I challenge their assumptions and the way that they've been doing it. And, you know, everybody wants better results. Everybody wants new things, but nobody wants to change, um, mm-hmm. because we're afraid, you know, cause we change, we're going to lose something. And so um, I try to reassure people that, hey, um, you can gently let go of this other thing that you're holding on to that's not getting you any results, and you can jump into other stuff. Of course, you were a very good student. I had didn't have to pry your hands off of your old way of doing things. You were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Cool. So, hey, let's dive into today's book. I mean, just you talking about the, some of the coaching stuff, I can just see some of the principles from this book and, and that not needing to be a hero, but being a guide. But for those who are new to our show, I I love having our guests choose the book. And so Alan, when I reached out to him, was bold enough not just to pick one, but pick two books for us this month. Um, But why don't you share with the audience which books you went with and why? Well, uh, one time I was sitting in church and our pastor said, some people's lives are like half-read books. And my wife elbowed me and said, your life is half-read books. Because I'm always (laughs) in like at least a half a dozen books at a time. And I used to feel so guilty that I wouldn't finish books. And then I realized if they'd they'd written better books, I would have finished them. So I was reading several books at a time. And I was reading two at the same time that I thought had nothing to do with with each other. One was Story Brand by... um, Donald Miller, and the other was Hero Maker by uh, Dave Ferguson and, and Dr. Warren Bird. And the more I read both of them, the more I realized they had everything to do with each other. And um, and I was reading it for different reasons. Story Brand I was reading because, you know, I have products and services and I wanted to... Mm-hmm. But, but the other thing about kind of sales, marketing kinds of books, they teach you a lot about human nature. Yes. And then, of course, you know, Hero Maker is about multiplying in the church and, you know, multiplying yourself, developing leaders. And the more I read them, they kind of fell on the same theme. And the theme was that um, I'm not the hero in the story and you're Mm -hmm. not the hero in the story. And your senior pastor is not the hero in the story. And your worship leader is not the hero in the story. And he can go cry about that. But we're not (laughs) the hero. We're we're at the best. We're the guide, but we're not the hero. Yeah. For those who might be wondering, is it that Donald? Yeah, it's the same blue like jazz. Donald Miller has really taken a pivot. And he has moved more into uh, business and marketing. But um, I actually think it's it's a good thing. Yeah. I th- well, I mean, I think the bottom line was he got tired of writing memoirs about himself. Yes. I think it gets extremely difficult. Uh, Which, I you know, fan. I mean, after a while, you can only, a person only does so many interesting things in their life and then they just have to start making stuff up. So, yeah. um, so he actually went and began to look at this idea of story in, for the purposes of marketing and acquiring customers and how does story relate to that? And so he took this story framework and, and we see this all the time in advertising. Yeah. I mean, think about all of those annoying pharmaceutical commercials that we watch, mm-hmm. right? So you watch these commercials and what do they do? They tell a story. 
They tell a story of somebody who wants to live a better life, but they have a medical problem and their medical problem is keeping them from living the better life. But then their doctor recommends if you take this medication, then you'll be able to live the life you want. But if you don't take this medication, you're going to get sick and die. Um, So, um, you know, and and then they have all of these, you know, weird names. Like the other, when I saw a commercial for a medication called Sky Rizzy, I thought, you know, (laughs) they've officially run out of decent names for prescription medication. Sky Rizzy, come on. But, and I don't even know what it does. I just know that it's annoying. And if my doctor ever says I should have it, I'm going to say, nope, I'm taking nothing misnamed that. I'm sure they used like a spin wheel on that one. They just spun Maybe. it and Sky came up. All right, let's see what the next one is. <laughs> Rizzy. Oh, no. <laughs> but the idea is that you're living a story. You're living your own story. And for most of us, it's like we get up in the morning and we get ourselves together. We get our kids off to school. And we go to work and we go through our day. We come home in the evening. We get our kids ready for bed. And then we get up the next day and do it all again. It doesn't seem like a very exciting story. Um, but that's okay. Cause if it gets too exciting, then we get all stressed out, but everybody has a story. Everybody has something that they're facing, something that they want to accomplish. And then they have something that's getting in the way of accomplishing what they want to accomplish. Um, this is why weight loss programs, there'll always be a new one and they'll always be in business because yeah. you know, there's, there are obstacles there. Um, And so people have a story, they have something they want to accomplish. So the question is, um, when we look at what we do in the church, we know all of the reasons that we do small groups. We know all of the reasons we want to recruit leaders. We know all the reasons we do the weekend service. But have we stopped to consider the people that we're reaching, the people that are in our congregations, what's their story and how is what we're doing connect to their story? And I think that begins to reveal some of the frustration of we advertise things, we talk about things, we harangue people, we bribe them, we do all of these things to get them involved. And then they still don't get involved. And we think, well, you know, they're, they're not listening or they're not committed or, you know, whatever else. And the reality is, we haven't come up with something that's going to help them solve the problem that they're facing. Yeah. So I think we really have to start with what is the problem that we're facing and how can the church do something about meeting their need? Yeah. And instead of everybody needs to get on the same program, well, people are just not the same. Yeah, that's so good. I, you saying that just makes me think too, this is a, a common theme that's been happening in the last several episodes of this podcast has been a lot of this. We want something for people, not from them. And I think that's one of the other things that this story brand formula is really trying to help with is that so often the way that we... And we don't intentionally mean to do this, but the way in which we try to get people into a community or into a group or into church, whatever it may be, I think sometimes turns into like the way we communicate it is like, oh, that church just wants something from me. Like they just want me to be at this group. They don't actually... Like we're not doing a great job of communicating what's in it for them. So so why don't we stop for a second and I'll walk through the story brand formula. Okay. They, these are the chapters that they have and it's literally the formula. So it's a character has a problem and meets a guy who gives them a plan and calls them to action that helps them avoid a failure and ends in success. So Alan and I are going to walk through like each one of these and how they, they look in, into group. You know, why don't we start with the basic one? Who's our who's our character, Alan? So your character could be the... And by the way, I use this formula when my eight-year-old wants me to tell him a story. 
Nice. And I'll say, well, who's the hero, which is often him. What's the hero <laughs> trying to accomplish? What's getting in the hero's way? And, and then he'll put all the pieces and then we'll actually just, then I'll, I'll just tell the story based on, you know, the, all the points that he's getting. I can't wait and, to steal that. <laughs> and and the, the other thing, it, it totally works. And yeah. uh, so, and then of course it always has to be a happy ending. Yeah. You know, we even know from movies, if it's a happy ending, it's going to be a bestseller. Yeah. If it's not a happy ending, it's going to be critically acclaimed. Yes. It's, it won't be a, it won't be a happy ending. So <laughs> we can start with the hero of the story is the average person in our church. So our character is the group member. So you know, what is the, what is the problem that a group member has? And, and I'm actually going to, I'll leave this story to you to tell, but you were talking about how your son has found community in a place that you kind of didn't expect. And would you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah. My, my oldest, I mean, he finds community in a, you know, a text group. And then my, uh, my 16 year old finds community on, uh, with Minecraft and uh, Fortnite. And and on Twitch and yeah. you know and, and my daughter finds community with FaceTime and Instagram and all of that. My little boy, he does a lot with um, FaceTime. In fact, he was on with his friend for from Greenville for two hours yesterday. Wow! But they'll play games together. They'll play Battleship together over FaceTime. Um, so the pandemic didn't really stop anybody from um, connecting. Um, but it's like, where do they find where do they find community? And so the difficulty was we can't meet in person because, you know, last year there was a pandemic. We were supposed to stay apart. This year, the problem is they've all moved a thousand miles literally from their friends and yet they could stay connected. With, so I guess that makes I, I'm the villain in the story because I moved them <laughs> and uh, I want to be the guide. But now I'm the villain. Uh, maybe my wife could be the guide. Um, yeah. So, so how do you overcome that? Well, then they, they've overcome it with technology. Yeah. And I think one of the things that jumped out to me in that, that article that you shared too is, and it's in your, your book, uh, Exponential Groups, is, is everyone already has a group, right? So right. the problem can't be that they don't have a group or don't have a community. So w- what is that problem? Personally, I think it was interesting. I was in my small group huddle with our North Jersey group a couple weeks ago. And we were celebrating the success of another church that had started to um, develop a young adults group. And our church is a young adults group. We're like 90% young adults at our church. And um, it's interesting. I used to think that our success was related to... um, and, And this is definitely part of our success. You know, it's a transient community. People have moved from all over the country to be here and therefore they've left their family and this is their family that they find, right? And... This awesome leader in our huddle, she was talking about how she started the group by gathering them together and just listening to them and how much that helped. And the next week, she was like, hey, could you invite your friends and we'll grab pizza and all this stuff? And their groups double. And we were just celebrating that. One of the things that, that really just stood out to that is that I actually think one of the things that those young adults are looking for, and I'm sure this is with everyone, is they finally had a place where they could have meaningful conversations. Right, a place where they could be heard, um, and, and and not just that. This is one of those things I think that social media has us so confused with what conversations look like because I think we're just all throwing out points, but no one's really no one's really listening, and I feel like they also like don't feel heard or understood. Um, and there was actually a really good quote in the book. Let me see if I can find this quote. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, an undeniably successful guide to millions, once explained. The three things that every human being wants most are to be seen, heard, and understood, and in this essence of empathy. And I think that's just one of those things that, like, 
that's where groups kind of like find their success is around being seen, heard and understood. Yeah. And I, and I would say even in that, and I think those are great points, yeah. but you know, we shouldn't take our cues from Oprah. Yeah. Exactly. We should sit down with people that have been resistant to joining a group yeah. and say, you know, hey, what's your problem? No, we yeah. sit down with them and, and basically create a focus group and say, yeah. tell, tell me about how our church, how our church can help you. I mean, yes. I like that. Um, and I think Dave Ferguson talks about this in his book, or I heard him say it somewhere, or I made it up. Um, <laughs> but it's almost like we need the, the old Home Depot model. Remember the old Home Depot model? You can do it. We, we can, can help. help. Yeah. You can do it. We can help. We're not going to do it for you. We're not going to provide everything for you. We're going to yes. believe enough in you that you can do it and we can help. And then this goes to, again, the story brand book being a marketing book. One of the quotes, actually principle three from the book is customers aren't looking for another hero. They're looking for a guide. Mm -hmm. So the pastor can't be the hero. The church can't be the hero. It's a matter of what what is that individual trying to accomplish? Yeah. And then our role as, as pastors... And so jumping back to Dave Ferguson's book, he asked, how many people am I investing in? How many people am I mentoring to be commissioned to do great things? How many people am I taking through the hero making process? Yeah. And he has his own definition of what a hero making process is. But I mean, you look at even in the ministry of Jesus, and this is one of the things they bring out in the hero maker book, Jesus spent 73% of his time with his disciples. And mm -hmm. because of the time he invested with those 12, you and I are talking today about church stuff. Yeah. The church exists in the world because of those 12. Jesus could have had a mega church if he wanted to. He fed the 5,000 plus women and children. That's a pretty, he could have had the first ever mega church. He chose not to do that. He chose to invest. And I have nothing against mega churches. No, um, no, but, the, the, but the, the issue is 96% of churches are either declining or a plateaued. And that also goes to Ferguson's book. And churches that are growing are not necessarily growing because people are coming to Christ. They're growing because people are coming to their church. So as much as we bemoan what's going on during the pandemic is, you know, across North America, pastors that I talk to, in-person worship is down. Giving is steady or even up in some quarters. And salvations and baptisms are up. And what are we focused on? How can we get back people back to church for the weekend service? Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. If we're doing a better job of fulfilling the great commission and our weekend service is half of what it used to be, what what exactly is the problem? And it's focus on discipling these people that are coming to Christ. They're watching online and you know, how do we give them next steps? Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'll get off of it. We'll go back to the regular programming. <laughs> no, I think that was I think that was great. This this one's actually, I think, a fairly easy step, especially with the guide. And it's just as simple as just defining it as let us help, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is especially true. I found this so helpful at recruiting leaders, right? That they're scared that they have to take on too much. And for me to come in and say, look, I just need you to encourage your group to support each other in their own spiritual growth. And my job is going to be to partner with you in this. And here's how I'm going to partner with you and being able to explain that out. I think it's just one of the things that just really kind of opened up the door to, to letting people know like, all right, like I'm not going to be alone on this. Like I'm going to have someone that's with me in this journey. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, especially if you have a church where I see this a lot, if I ever get a leader that has led in another church, 
sometimes they're worried they're just going to get abandoned. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, here's your curriculum. Go see ya. I'll see you in six months kind of thing. Like, and, and you can sell it off. So, so I think, I think that's a, a big part, which I think probably then leads into the next one, which is, which is give them a plan. So do you know, like, I think it's helping them understand, all right, here, what are the steps and, and what kind of, what can they expect? Um, and, and so like, I don't think we have time on today's podcast to get into a ton of like plan necessarily action on that. Uh, but once you have that plan, what are you going to be calling them to? So calls, calls to action. And I think one of the things that's super important that this book really hammers home and something that is a big mistake I used to make and something that I'm constantly trying to think of is what do you want your call to action to be? And it needs to be direct in one step. It can't be like multiple things that you want them to do. So it's like, do you want them to just learn more? Do you want them to sign up? Do you want them to inquire for more information? Those kind of things. So yeah. anything that you would say about call to action that you've learned? Yeah. And, and I think if you look in, in terms of, you know, small group leaders or hosts or something you do with an alignment series, you know, my, my first call to action for them is start a group, mm-hmm. May, you know, gather your friends and, and, yeah. you know, so start a group. But then my next call to action is continue your group. And then my next call to action is come to training. But it's that idea of just guiding them a step at a time and not giving them too much information. And, you know, a lot of times in our communication in churches, we, you know, we all, we have a lot of things to offer. And I've served a church of 6,500 and it had a lot of things to offer and it prided itself in being complicated church and not being simple church. Yeah. Um, but they would give equal time to things that you know, involved half the congregation and things that involved 10 people in the congregation, which didn't yeah. make any sense. But they thought, well, we got to give our people lots of options and lots of things to choose from. But the more things they gave people to choose from, the the less people made a decision. Is one of the statements Donald Miller uses a lot is, if you confuse, you lose. Yeah, absolutely. So if you say, somebody says, you can start, they're like, okay, where do I start? Well, you can start here or here or here or here or here or here. And then they're like, I don't know where to start. I know I should start, but I don't know where to start. And we think we're doing them a favor because we're saying, hey, here's 25 different pl- ways that you could start. All they're looking for is one way. Mm-hmm. One way. And, and this was the crazy thing that I, I learned from the book was if your explanation of something or your invitation of something causes people to burn too many calories. Mm. So our brain consumes a great number of calories. And you know this on things that you started reading and you passed on because it was just too complicated because you're burning so many calories that uh, you're just like, I don't get it. And then you move on to the next thing. And it's not your fault for not getting it. It's their fault for not being clear enough in what they were leading you to. So the same yeah. thing in the church. You know, we've got small groups on the brain. We don't understand why anybody would resist being in a small group, but yeah. it's a matter of how do we make it clear? What's their resistance? What's their objection? How does being in a small group not fit into their story right now? And how can we bridge that over, you know, other than just making a very colorful Sky Rizzy commercial for small groups? Um <laughs> But how do we bridge that over and show them this would be useful to you and this will help you to achieve your goals? I think the other thing that, that you just triggered in my brain too is, you know, we're in the middle, we're, we're about to start groups up in September. But so right now we are trying to recruit more leaders. And so we did an email blast yesterday trying to let people know like, hey, like we want you to lead a group. And I think one of the things that we missed in the past is that we would do all the lead a lead a group or start a group your phrase is better start a group is much easier less 
less calories than leader group, right? Because they got to get over that hurdle. Am I a leader? That What I've learned through this though, is that you end up marketing your groups through this as well, or like letting people know. So like, even though I didn't get maybe a, as many people as I hoped for that are interested in starting a group, I got a bunch of people who signed up to get notifications when groups open. Mm. So it gets them thinking about it. And I think that's that's another kind of thing that um, took me like 10 years to learn into this process. But don't underestimate that start a group process and what it can do with people who are just on the sidelines as well. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, what's the perception of a group? What does that feel yeah. like? Do I have to know a certain amount? Do I have to be a certain way? Do I have to have to act together? Are people going to get in my business? You know, th- those sorts of things. Um, and and I uh, I discovered one year, we were starting groups and we were going to start with an open house. They were going to start with a Super Bowl party. Mm-hmm. And so our slogan kind of became, what if your group was more like a Super Bowl party and less like what you're afraid a small group is? <laughs> Yeah, And so it's kind of that thing of, you know, focusing on the relationship, knowing that there's going to be content, knowing that there's going to be, you know, encouragement, there's going to be iron sharpening iron, there's going to be accountability, all of those sorts of things. But it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a rigid environment. So what is their perception of a group? Because if they're not in a group, then whatever they think a group is doesn't fit into what they're doing. Whereas we're yeah. like, come on, groups could be for everybody. Groups will help you. Groups will support you. Or they don't want to get together with a group of strangers. So I'm like, well, or they don't want to get together with a bunch of people. Their house is not big enough or on and on. It's not our problem to solve. But if we give our people permission and opportunity to form a group, like I'm not going to become like the guru for Twitch small groups um, (laughs) because I don't think you could do a group on Twitch. I only know about Twitch because of my 16 year old. But if I give people permission and say anywhere that you're connecting with people, could you do something, you know, intentional about your spiritual growth? Would they be interested in doing something to follow along with that? Yeah. Um, I don't want to meet with strangers. Well, then meet with your friends. Yeah. I don't have any friends. Well, then, you know, go talk to Pastor yeah. Nick. He'll help you find friends. He'll be your friend. <laughs> I would also just add in there too. If that idea scares you of having experimental groups and stuff like that, I would encourage you to know that groups don't have to be public. Like you can, in fact, I almost think those experimental groups are better and you get better results if they're not public and they have to go and recruit their own people because that'll let you one, they'll, they'll find other people who are passionate about the same things. And you don't want to be on stage pushing all these different ways that people can connect. It's going to confuse people when you do that. Give them one simple thing that they can, they can connect with. And if that's the, the, Core of your groups, communicate that. But if you have these fringe groups, like don't give them the same airtime. You already talked about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the truth is, if our whole church was getting together to encourage each other to study and apply God's word, and they were doing all of that behind our backs, would that really be a problem? No. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even call it small groups. You just call it normal. This is what normal what normal believers in the church do. They practice these one another's and they do some of it in person. They do some of it over their iPhone um, and we'll just call it normal. And we don't, so what, you're not the pastor. We don't have small groups anymore. What's your job? Well, I'm the pastor of normal. Um, you know, why not? Um, yeah. But I, but I think this idea of, you know, do we believe in our people enough? Uh-huh. Now this may not be a fair read, but when I look at, Paul's missionary journeys in Acts and how he, you know, how he planted churches. 
he didn't spend, by my count, he didn't spend any more than six to 18 months in any particular city because he was compelled to preach Christ where Christ had never been heard of before. Mm -hmm. So he would go in, he would set up the church, he would spend a little bit of time, six to 18 months with them. He'd choose the best and brightest to be their elders. And he'd say, hey, I'm on to the next city, but if you get into a problem, write me a letter. Because that was the technology of the day, right? And that's how we got a lot of the New yeah. Testament. Um, six to 18 months to start a church. And so you think of the stuff that you know we go through of, well, you know, we, we want quality. We don't want just want quantity. We want quality groups. Well, it, here's a newsflash. If you don't have quantity, quality doesn't matter. <laughs> You've got, yeah, and, and the other thing is that we don't have to wait till somebody gets their master divinity before we yeah. let them lead something. They just have to be a little bit further yeah. ahead of somebody else. Yeah. And uh, so here's a classic example. In the spring, we launched groups. I'm serving as the outsourced small group pastor at Mount Hope Church in Lansing, Michigan. So in the spring, we started uh, uh, groups around a series called Together. And we had I think we grew by about 88% is what we had. Um, but uh, anyway, so then now we're doing another series this fall and we're in the middle of recruiting for that. But the first thing I do before I recruit leaders is I go to the existing leaders and I say, hey, would you walk alongside, would you be the guide in the story of a new host and and help them out, answer their questions, encourage them, pray for them, uh, keep them from giving up when they invite three friends and two of them say no, uh, that sort of thing. So I'm at this meeting at the beginning of the month, this month, and I have all of the current life group leaders. I have all of the hosts there from the together groups. And I, I say, if you'd be interested, then sign up to be at one of these briefings to meet these new hosts. And lo and behold, a couple of them that signed up had just started leaning a group hosting a group during the spring series. And now they're coaching a brand new leader that's never led a group before because they have six weeks more experience at leading a group than the new person who's <laughs> never led a group before. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Because they care enough. They're going to pick up the phone and call them. They're going yeah. to encourage them. They are going to pray for them and they are going to help them. And I think sometimes we just, um, you know, we hold on too long. One of the quotes um, from uh, the Hero Maker book, they say the practice of permission giving is a shift from seeing what God can do through my own leadership to seeing what God can do through other leaders. Permission yeah. giving requires that we learn to lead with a yes and use simple tools like I see in you conversations. Mm -hmm. And so my, my friend, Eddie Mosley, at uh, Brentwood Baptist in, in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, will walk up to people on Sunday morning and sincerely say to them, have you ever considered being a small group leader? Because I think you would do a great job at that. Yeah. Now, you have to be sincere. It's not like, did you hear what Pastor Nick just said to me? He thinks I would be a great small <laughs> group leader. It's like, okay, do you know Pastor Nick said that to a hundred other people this week? He's just desperate. Uh, no, but when we sincerely see that in somebody or yeah. a, a small group leader sees that in a member of their group, which I know is not popular because we don't like to split up our, our groups in North America, but, um, but to be able to be selfless enough to say, I think you would do a great job at this. And then if the leader, if we were a guide to the leader who's the hero, the leader is a guide to the members who are the hero. So everybody's just helping everybody else advance at various levels. So we got two left here, uh, which is that helps them avoid failure. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. What are the problems that we're helping people avoid? I, personally, for me, I think it's it's helping them avoid loneliness. Um, but that's the relationship side. But I also think that it's 
it's helping them to avoid being spiritually stuck. I think that's another thing that, that you know we've seen, and it's interesting. It might lead into that last one of how do we define success? You know, someone who is spiritually stuck isn't necessarily going to be taking steps of faith. So, what are those steps of faith that you're kind of looking at? inside of your groups that allow them to know whether they're successful or not. I think it starts with what people are motivated to do. Yeah. You know, I could say, well, I need to, I need to lose weight. I need to better manage my time and I need to pay attention to the maintenance on my car. But then the one that gets my attention is the one where I go to the doctor and the doctor tells me something I don't want to hear or my car is making a noise or broke down and I have to call AAA. That's mm-hmm. the one that's top of my list that I have to get my car fixed before I can get my body fixed, before I can get my schedule fixed. So I, I have a friend of mine in um, in Orlando, uh, John Hampton at uh, Journey Christian Church, and he went uh, wanted to work on his body. So he went to join a gym and the gym gave him a personal trainer. And the personal trainer said, okay, John, uh, tell me what you want to work on. And and so John told him and he he developed a program based on what John wanted to accomplish. And John had this realization of why don't we do this in the church? Why don't we ask people what they want to work on? Instead, mm-hmm. we just we treat people like we're manufacturing widgets and they're all going to come out the same. Well, they don't even start the same. And then, you know, and of course Marcus Buckingham says the problem with people is they're just never done. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but That's but great. how how is it again where a person's motivated, what they're feeling, um, how can how could we help them achieve their next step? And maybe that means smaller, small groups. Maybe that means some individualized focus. Um, But what I'm saying is it's not a set plan that's true of everybody. Um, But we start out with the things that they're motivated to do. And then from there, then we can get them into the things that, you know, they ought to know, they ought to learn, that sort of thing. But it's easier to help somebody with something they're already motivated to do than it is to you know, create the motivation and then get a, convince them they should do it and then they do it. Yeah. So my question for that then is, I, I think that sounds great, but then how do you prevent that from turning into, oh, you have a problem, we can fix it. Like, so in other words, like I find that that philosophy for for some churches and maybe ours <laughs> is that it turns then how do you prevent that from turning into like programmatic where like oh you have this issue like we have a program for you oh you have this issue there's a program for you kind of thing yeah i, I think that you know we kind of go back to the definition of a of making a disciple and mm-hmm. you know how do you make a disciple well disciples make disciples so I think sometimes, and especially when you're in larger churches, and I've served larger churches, I served a very small church that became a larger church, um, that we think that, well, the program is the answer because we can't be personal. Yeah. But the truth is we have to be personal. And, you know, we can't be personal with every person in the congregation as a pastor, yeah. but we can team people up. And I think just beginning to create the spirit and not, and it can be in groups, but it can also be within ministry areas and everybody is called to make disciples. That's a great commission. I like this quote from uh, Derwin Gray that's in the Hero Maker book. He says, the best leaders look into the soul of a person and say, I see what you could be. And my role Mm -hmm. is to bring that out of you. So maybe we put people in, you know, what's an environment that's going to help them to grow? Who's somebody that has a margin of victory that's a little further down the road than the person that's currently dealing with that. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not cookie cutter uh, for sure, but then how do you individualize all of that? Well, you don't, I don't, we, we get that down to small group leaders and having small group leaders help to people to determine, you know, what are their spiritual next steps? And maybe their next step is a study. Maybe their next step is a book. Maybe it's a class. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's serving in some capacity, um, you know, to begin to think about things in, in terms of that. But I think the main thing is staff members need to stop doing, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I jokingly say, but there's truth to it is that ministry is not something that we do to people. Mm-hmm. So any staff member, any person on our staff, any person that we hire should be multiplying themselves and should be developing people um, to take on other roles. And, and then to begin to create that culture. Um, because then, you know, who's the next small group leader? Who's the next coach? Who's the next small group pastor? Who's the next church planter? I mean, all of these people are within your church, but how are we encouraging that in people? How are we helping people see that? And a lot of times people have very natural giftings that they don't see themselves and you have to call it out of them yeah. and say, you know, you're very good at encouraging people. You're yes. very insightful in these things. Um, instead of just assuming that, oh, well, they know that they're gifted in that. They don't necessarily no, they don't. know that. What I find with the giftings is that they're not able to see their own strengths because they assume that everyone else has that. It comes naturally to them as well. Exactly. So they, they think that everyone can just do that as natural as they can. And so it really helps to just be like, Hey, you're really good at helping people belong when, when new people show up to group. I really thank you for doing that when it comes to group. I, I think that's why it comes back to Dave Ferguson's I see in you conversations that they have. You know, hey, this is what I see in you. This is what I would love for you to be able to step into. So. Yeah. And even, you know, going back into the the other my other love, which is ministry discovery and looking at, you know, whether it's shape or network or, you know, GPS that Brian Phipps and Rob Wegner have out now. Um but helping people see, you know, how are they shaped for ministry mm-hmm. and, you yeah. know, answering big questions like if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you attempt to do for God? I mean, our, our church in California, we got to the point where um, we disciplined ourselves not to start any new ministry until we had somebody coming out of the shape process that was gifted and called to do that ministry. Those are the only ministries we began to do in our church. Gosh, um, what a great principle that is. <laughs> of, you know, listening to, instead of trying to, you know, fill holes, but we started a lot of other great things um, just because we had those conversations with people of what they felt yeah. gifted and called to do and putting them in that role. And then in all of those roles, you know, making, making disciples along the way. So yeah. I think that, you know, again, the whole, the whole thing of, of reading these books is going back and saying the person in the pew, mm-hmm. what, what are they dealing with? Not assuming having actual conversations with actual people, yeah. what are they dealing with? What are they open to? What are they motivated to do? And then mm-hmm. how can we assist them in some way. And maybe we can't, maybe we refer to them to somebody else that, yeah. that can assist in a particular area, but how, yeah. you know, how can we wh- what are them? they open to do? Yeah. So awesome. These are two great books that are really quick reads. Um, so I really encourage you to pick them up. I know the story brand one, even just the, the uh, audio book of it alone is four hours. And so you two X that you're done in two hours. So um, two sittings, you're, you're, you're done with it. It's fantastic. Cool. So, Hey, let's dive in the lightning round. What's another book you've read recently or currently reading that's had an impact on your leadership? Well, I'm halfway through uh, the biography of George Washington uh, nice. by Ron Chernow and being halfway through, I, I'm, I'm seriously doubting that the colonists are going to win this thing. Yeah. 
because it's looking bad. Yeah. But, you know, the French are helping out now. But holy cow, what they went through. Um, I don't know how that applies to small groups. I read a wide variety of stuff. I, cool. I love biographies, too. I try to read at least one a year. My, the last one I did was um, Jim Henson, which was fantastic. Mm. Um, and, and and kind of the struggles that he personally went through. I, I just love, I also love the thick biographies that cover everything. Like I don't want the revised, cleaned up, polished ones. Like give me the dirt, <laughs> give me the struggles. I can learn from those. So cool. Um, Alan, this was great. I was so glad I was able to squeeze you in. I know you've just moved and, um, and, you know, ramping up towards September here. So I'm just glad you could be on. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. So, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I'm Nick Lenzi, and I want to thank you for listening with us. Thanks to Alan for being bold and sharing two books with us. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. 